0: You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Abram Kibalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. The primary topic of this week's double parsha um, is Negayim, Sarat. Sarat is mistranslated as leprosy. We may on occasion call it leprosy, but it is not the disease of leprosy. It in some ways resembles leprosy, and that's why when they published the first Bible, King James Bible in English, so that was the word they chose. But obviously leprosy is a a malady that's a physical (coughs) ailment, and it has cures, and saras is a completely different uh, animal. But we use the word on occasion. You know, um, In the year 2000, in this country, so some of you may know, um, basically, uh, on Rosh Hashanah, um, all hell broke loose. And what has come to become known as the Second Intifada kind of burst onto the scene. Uh, Intifada is an Arabic word for uprising. I'm not sure that's an accurate depiction, but that's what people call it. And um, basically riots all over the country. It was significantly worse than the first Intifada. The first Intifada also riots all over the country, but they didn't have guns. We hadn't yet given away Gush Katif, Aza, Hebron, you know, Janine, Shechem, etc., etc. So the borders were much more defined. Um, we hadn't created a Palestinian police force, whatever that means. By the year 2000, there were 200,000 guns floating around Yudava Shamron, Judea and Samaria. Um, in contravention, by the way, of Oslo, they're supposed to have 5,000 guns. And so what used to be rocks became bullets. And it was very intense. And they realized uh, that the borders had basically multiplied by about 13 times. Because think about it imagine before Oslo, before kind of we gave away jurisdiction in, in many of these places. So there was a straight border, right? There was a border in the south of Egypt, there was a border in the north of Lebanon, Syria, Jordan. And you count up those miles And that's your border But after the year 1995 And eventually 1997 All of a sudden You have an additional border Around Aza, <clears throat> And you have an additional border Around Shechem And you have an additional border Around then an in Hebron. it's on and on and on So they realized When this broke out All over the country They didn't have enough troops So they started drafting The Limbican So we got an emergency draft Order at Tzav Shemone. Um I remember I got a call About uh, 1 o'clock in the morning From my dad. And he said, uh, you know, we got a special order. We have to be in Milim I had never experienced this before. I had been in combat and that sort of thing, but I'd never been... Uh, I wasn't in Milimnik a reserve duty, and I, I'd never experienced that Tzav Shmoner. Basically, a Knesset subcommittee can order everybody to go to war. And so I said to him, well, when do we have to be there? He said, now. <laughs> it's 1 o'clock in the morning. I said, well, how long are we in for? He said, I have no idea. And... Uh, by 4 a.m., 97% of our unit was already in their amdat. They were in their positions. That's a discussion for another time. And we ended up drafted for six weeks. Imagine putting your whole life on hold for six weeks. And it got very intense. And we were given a line. It started out opposite the Artas Khirbat Aliya, like the area between Efrat and Betlechem. Eventually, it came to be much larger. And I was in a chapak. I was in a, what's it called, a, a roving command post in a jeep. Kind of, you know, negotiating the different units that I was commanding at different ends of the, the, the border, and one day I get a call from one of the positions uh, north of us that uh, there's an Arab village there, Abdallah Ibrahim, which is generally a peaceful village, but we were always worried that uh, Falahin, that um, uh, terrorists would, would sneak into these villages and stir things up, and that could be very dangerous. Um, so I got a report. Listen, there's there's a riot. And, and, and the riot is developing in Abdali ibrahim so I wasn't particularly worried okay if the Arabs want to ride in Abdal-ibrahim so we'll get there and try to but okay he says no, no I understand there's a, there's a Jew there's a Jew in the middle of Abdal-ibrahim we can see him through the binoculars he has a kippah on his head and he's surrounded by all these Arabs wow so I'm thinking like what does a Jew do in the middle of Abdal-ibrahim like during these times like nobody would go in there so obviously he hit the gas now there's a whole system for what he's supposed to do you don't go into an Arab village on your own, three men in a jeep. It's very dangerous, especially in the middle of the right. You have to get backup forces, and you have to get Yishirim. But, you know, we get to the edge of, 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 of where we were, a hill overlooking Efrat, and I look and I see that there's a Jew, and he's got to keep on, right? And and it's a big white keeper, and he's surrounded by all these Arabs, and people look like they're yelling. And so it seems to me what I'm looking at is a guy's about to get shachted. I mean, remember that this was a few days after... Uh, or not long after this terrible terrible uh, story in Ramallah where two if you remember this story or you heard this story took a wrong turn they ended up in the middle of Ramallah they were surrounded by mobs they were dragged out of their cars they were pulled to the Palestinian police they were beaten and uh, they were taken upstairs they were interrogated beaten again there's a famous picture of a terrorist inside holding his gleeful hands outside the window covered in blood and then they threw the bodies out the window And this was filmed by an Italian news crew. It made all the the news waves. The entire country sank into a depression watching this. And that really exploded events. So I think I'm looking at the same thing. So I tell the driver, yala. So the guy in back, remember, we're all reserve duty soldiers, we have wives and children. He's like, what are you talking about? Where's the backup? I said to listen, we don't have time for a backup. The backup will get it, there'll be nothing to back up. You have no choice. So we drive into Abdal Ibrahim, right? And I'm looking, and sure enough, I see this guy, and he's keep up, and everybody's kind of closing their flak vests and putting their machzaniot and their cartridges in and getting themselves, putting their helmets on because, like, you don't know what you're entering. I get into this village, surrounded by a mob, get out. People kind of see us coming and kind of part, which was kind of, like, strange to me, that this whole mob just parts because three soldiers come. But it was essentially a friend of the village. It was not far from Efrat. And I'm all lachutz. You don't want to kill an innocent civilian. You want to come home safely until I see who's in the middle of this whole story. I actually knew who he was. It was a guy named Yididya, And he was the kabat, the security officer for Frat. He's a civilian. And he's got a pistol on his belt, right? And he's talking with all these Arabs in the middle of a kfar, in the middle of the intifada. So I go and I say, what are you doing here? He goes, don't worry. I said, what do you mean don't worry? Don't worry that they think there's a mob here. Turned out that the Arabs started to riot because they were very upset, because the road that runs under the village goes all the way into Bethlehem. It was a dark road. And in the security establishment, they decided, as I knew about, that, uh, that we were nervous that terrorists would sneak into abdal Ibrahim. So we decided to widen the road and put streetlights on top of the road And that way, from afar, we could see the streetlights and if somebody tried to sneak in or they're terrorists or anything like that, we'd be able to spot them and we wouldn't think it was Abdali Abram and so on and so forth. Well, the villagers saw with a couple of bulldozers and they think we're trying to take our land. Some of them thought we were trying to bulldoze their village. So they started a riot. So Yudidya, who was part of the committee that makes these decisions, went into the village to talk to the Muhta to calm them down. So I pulled him out of there and we went back and on the one hand I started yelling at him, listen, you know, it's very nice that you care about the Arabs it's a affair. It's very nice it is but you know there are three million came now who are endangered you were endangered you don't know how these things end up this is not the time to worry that much about the Arabs you should be worried about yourself I'll never forget what he said to me he looks at me and goes shani you think I'm worried about these Arabs these Arabs can take care of themselves but I'm not worried about them I'm worried about us because I see what's going on and we're going to pay a price for this we have to make sure that all the things that we have to do, and I understand we have to do them, that they leave us who we want to be at the end of this whole story. I'm not worried about their bodies. I'm worried about our souls. That's what he said. Doing this sort of thing, it's good for the Nishama. To remember in the middle of a war, in the middle of fighting your enemy, that they're human beings. I'm not doing that for them. I'm doing that for me. It's like the Allah of Tzar Belechaim you don't do you don't prevent according to Allah, cruelty to animals for the animal hey, you can care about the animal you, you, you shouldn't be cruel to animals because of what it was does to you so there's an interesting question in this week's Parsha, right? and that is the entire story of the mitzvah. so there's a fellow person home piece of clothing and something's off and without getting too deep into the scripture, there's a whole section of halacha that deals with this. By the way, where would I find the section, right, of halacha on Taras, right? The halacha of Tumas Taras, Where would I find that? Where in the Rambam Sefer? Tara. That's exactly right. You remember which book that is? Of the 14? No? 10. Good. That's the 10th book, right? It's before Nazikin, and it's after, right, Avodah and Okay? If you look in Parak Pasuk Yud, the Rambam actually I won't read it to you. The Rambam describes what happens to the mitzora, and, and he quotes the Pesukim from our parsha. Right? Sorry. If the skin is white and the coin deems it a nega, right, then he's a mitzora. Shivat Yamim Yashev badad, he has to go and sit alone. Where does he sit alone? And to sit outside the camp. So now this is interesting. Yeah. You have an individual who has Sarat. Okay? Why does this individual have Sarat? I you know? What does Chazal say? Why does a person get Sarat? This thing that we associate with leprosy. Lashonara. Lashonara. That's exactly right. Okay? Person speaks Lashonara, he gets Sarat. Okay? and there are many instances of this. can somebody give me a famous case from the Torah Aaron Ar- and Miriam Aaron and Miriam Aaron and Miriam what do they do they speak lashanara. who do they speak Lashonara about Moshe. Moshe how many types of lashanara are there three. Uh, uh, evil speech three right we have Refilut which is innocent gossip right not so innocent we have Lashanara, which is right you're saying something negative about somebody even if it's true for no good reason. And what's the third? Motzi mm-hmm. Shemra, right? Uh, evil, I don't even know how to say that in English, right? To, to produce evil speech about somebody, right? Create a negative impression of a person. What is that? That's where you're lying about someone. You're saying something that's not even true. Which one, which one are Moshe, or Aaron and Miriam doing? Anybody remember what they say? What do they say? they have different opinions as to what they said. Anybody, pick one. It's the most obvious The first and Pasuk, yeah? About like, separating from his Okay. He's separated from his wife. He was married to an Ishak Kushit, which might have been a dark-skinned woman from Midian. Right? Miriam compares him to regular Nevi'im and doesn't put him on the pedestal. that He's above all the other prophets. Let me ask you a question. Are any of those things untrue? No. So it's not Motsi Shemra. Agreed? Okay. Is it... Innocent gossip or lashon Is it negative to say he's separated from his wife? He's separated from his wife. Maybe you think it's not so good. So this is an interesting debate whether this is rechilus or lashon So there's a possibility that this is gossip, which is unbelievable. Why would Miriam and Aaron gossip? And maybe they felt there was a purpose to the gossip, and they get sarat. So it's pretty serious. Why would a person who speaks Negatively or innocently about someone else get tsarat. So the Gemara in Erchin, right, actually discusses this. Okay, famous Gemara. Well, famous, they know it, right? Okay, the Gemara says, right. This is on Daf Tetz Zayin Bet, sixteen B. Mani sh'tana mitzora shemra Torah badad yeshiv michutz la'machaneh la'machaneh moshevo. Why is the mitzora so different that when he's punished? Or the consequence is that he has to leave and sit outside the machaneh. Why does he have to sit outside the camp? Right? ben because he causes separation between a man and a woman, ben between a man and his neighbor. badad So the Torah says, he caused people to be separate, so Hashem says, you be separate too. Now let's think about this for a minute. The Gemara here implies that the consequence of speaking ill is that you cause people to come apart. Think of any time we're going to get to this at the end of Perak Zayin in Hilchoder when we do all sorts of different types of speech. You know? I don't know. Uh, somebody finishes a Masechta. Right? It's a seal. Unbelievable. You're sitting at the lunch table you say, and somebody says you know, did you see uh, he finished uh, finished the whole Masechta. Unbelievable. Finished the tractate. Somebody says, yeah, well, he finished the tractate, but you should see he doesn't get up for a minyan in the morning, right? It's actually usher to say something, even if it's nice, if there's no point to it, because it'll lead something else to say something negative. Okay. Maybe he said Lashon Hara. Maybe he said, you know, it's true he finished the Masechta, but I caught him cheating. He was listening to like, you know, I don't know, Eshet Torah on the web, right? He didn't it, right? If you think that's negative, I might think that's positive. Right, but okay. So such a person gets Mitzorah? Now, why would a person get Sarat? So you cause people to be separate. You look less positive about, uh, around someone. You speak negatively about someone's spouse. They start to view them with a different eye. Okay. So, what's the issue that a person has if he's speaking Lashon Arach? What do you think? What's at the root of it? If the Gemara says, you cause other people to be separated. What do you think? What's the problem? You A know, person has, speaks Lashon Hara. That's a symptom of something deeper, right? That's just what he's doing. The question is, what's causing that to happen, right? You see a person who can't make decisions? That's just, that's the symptom. What's the cause of somebody who can't make decisions? He's depressed, he has anxiety, he has low self-image. That causes you not to be able to make decisions. So a person who speaks Lashon Hara, speaks negatively about someone, what do you think is the system? What's the issue? Anybody? What do you think? You guys are quiet today. What do you think? No? Do you understand the question? Yeah? Make it about ah. the only If you're causing other people to be separate, it's because you're not so comfortable with yourself. You're jealous of people that are happy. You know, it bothers you. That's a possibility. In other words, this is a person who is spiritually marred. Something's wrong. You want to say something, Jared? speak up. Okay, maybe he's arrogant. Maybe he's arrogant. He's too focused on himself. That could be. By the way, those two possibilities are two sides of the same coin. Low self-image, I'm nothing. You're spending a little too much time thinking about how you're nothing. Arrogance, I'm everything. Two sides of the same coin. So this person has an issue with himself. So just off the top of your head, what would you think is the dumbest thing to do to a person who has a low self-image or is arrogant. Dumbest thing to do. Kick him out of the room? Like I would think the opposite. I would think he needs to take a step up. If a person is spiritually damaged, if he's on a low spiritual level, have him be in a place that's spiritually good for him. Send him to the Chatzair of the Beis HaMikdash. That would make sense to me to the courtyard of the temple. Right? You know, if you look at a... If you were to look at a, a, at a map, at a bird's eye map of Machane Yisrael, of the entire Jewish people, you would find that it's concentric circles. It's not exactly circles, but whatever. Right? There's the Mishkan, and you have the Kodesh, the Kodesh Kedoshim, then you have the Chatzay, right? There are different levels. Then around that, you have the Machane Keunah, the Kornim. And around them, you have the Machane Livia. Right? families of uh, Moshe and Aaron families of Gershon Kaat Murari, right on four sides and then you have Machane Yisrael three tribes on each side right so let's say this guy is in Machane Yisrael he's a Gadite he's in Shevet Gad. so the Abacha is he has to leave the camp he's going that way I would think do the opposite send him that way tell him you know what go hang out with the Levim you're going to spend the week with Levim And if that doesn't work, spend a week with the Gohanim. Why do we do this? Why do we kick a person out? What's the purpose of separating a person from community? Now, I understand there could be a logic to the idea that if you're upending the community, maybe you need to step away from the community to think about what it is you're doing. But I would have thought it would be better to get a person to think about that by being more involved in the community. I remember when I was a kid, there was a movie with Harrison Ford, I think it was called Witness. Phenomenal movie. This guy is like a policeman and he somehow comes across a conspiracy and they want to kill him and he has to escape. He has to hide somewhere. And one thing leads to another. He ends up hiding with the Amish. Okay, And he lives with the Amish. He's this tough New York City or wherever he's from detective and all of a sudden he's leaving with the Amish. And it's like the guy who's hooked on cell phones all of a sudden has to has to live in Meisharim He's never seen such a beautiful community. So he watches how they share and how they help to build and that's the whole underlying theme of the movie. We need to get back to basics and it's beautiful. He put himself in a community and it was therapy for him. Why does the Matsora have to leave the camp? What's the idea here? right Now what's really going on in terms of Lush and Hara as the source for a Mitzvahra? So there's actually an earlier case of someone who gets Tsarat. They might know, as a rule, whenever you can find where something appears first, in the Torah, that's usually the paradigm that teaches you how to deal with it. So where's the first instance of somebody being affected by Tsarat? i bet you'll get this. Punished, given whatever Tsarat is, leprosy, yeah? <laughs> Excellent. Moshe Rabbeinu, at the burning bush. Right? Moshe obeyed, this is Perak Dalit in Sefer Shmot, plus a K, or six. Right? Vayom Lo o da venayat rabechikecha. Vayaveyadobechiko. Moshe puts his, if that's not enough, all these signs. Right? What does Moshe say to warrant what's about to happen? Anybody remember? Four words. Vehen lo li. He says, They're not going to believe me. Right? So he says, okay, I'll give you another sign. Put your hand in, in, your, in your shirt. So he does. His whole hand is Mitzvah, leopard. So Rashi there says, why does this happen? Right? Rashi says, this is the Gemara. He told what? Rachilus, or Matsushima? Pardon? Motsushema. This could be Matsushima. He says they're not going to believe him. Now, if that's a lie, then it's Matsushima. Prove to me it's not Matsushima. Because they don't believe him. First they believe him, but then they don't. So we've done. Maybe it's Kloshenara. Initially they believe him. Maybe it's Shema. Okay? So there's a problem here. There's a problem with this. Anyone want to tell me what the problem is here? Why do you get Lashon According to Kamara, you get Lashon Hara. Because, you know, I'm talking to Josh, and I tell Josh that um, shits isn't serious. Right? You know? And 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 people start to look, and Josh starts to think negatively about Rabbi David. And that's really serious. And that causes a certain distancing and a certain separation. So what's the problem here? Come on, what's the problem? Who is Moshe talking to? Kosh Baruchu. So the premise that because I speak Lashon Hara, I'm causing Kosh Baruchu to somehow change his perception of Israel is ridiculous. So why is that the paradigm of Lashon Hara? Right, very strange. Okay. So I want to share with you an idea. First, I have to remind you of a story. And there are many different ways to see this, but this is a good example. Um, do you guys remember? By the way, this isn't Moshe Rabbeinu is not the only one this happens to. This happens to Eliyahu and Navi, right? Not six thousand mm-hmm. knees has not bent down to the bow in Lachim Aleph, and, and Kadosh Baruch Hu takes him to task because he speaks negatively about the Jewish people. Who's the third Navi that this happens to? anybody remember? Perak Vav of it's an easy pasuk to remember. I like like 11, 12, 13, 6, fourteen, six, five. Paragva of and in Yisheal, burns Yisheal's lips because he speaks negatively about Am Yisrael. Same idea though, some form of lashon Har. So there's a fascinating case in Tanakh, also Lachim Aleph. Maybe you remember the story. Naaman, okay, is the king of Aram. He's the equivalent of Adolf Hitler. He is Israel's greatest nemesis. He's an incredibly cruel person, he's a butcher and he has been consistently harassing and attacking the Jewish people attacking their women enforcing idolatrous laws stealing their crops terrorizing them, he is the, the Arafat of his day and then he gets harat he gets leprosy and he doesn't know what to do and no one and nothing can cure him. It's a horrible, horrible malady. So somebody tells him there is a prophet that the Jewish people have, and if anybody can cure you, he can cure you. So he sends word that he but wants Elisha to cure him, Labriut, of tzarat. Now think about this: you're a doctor working in Naria Hospital, and you get a message from Ayatollah Khomeini, right? Yichyeh from Hamas. You know he's got a tumor, and you you specialize in this, and they sent word that they want you to operate on him. Yeah, sure, I'll operate on you. No problem. I'll do it with my eyes closed. Right? No problem. So what do you expect, Alicia, to say? Go away. You're Russia. Do tshuva. I'll talk to you. But Alicia says sheidasher navi yesh Let him know if there's a navi, that the Jewish people have naviim. And so Naaman comes. And without getting into the details of the story, he is cured. Elisha becomes the vehicle for Naaman being cured. So you're a mighty king. This Jewish prophet cures you. What do you do if you're a mighty king? What do you want to do? What do you want to do? You. you want to thank him. How do you thank him if you're the king? You give him a kiss on the cheek. No. You get him some Dunkin' Donuts. What? What do you do? You give, You want to give him a pukhtah. So he says, I'm going to give you a malach of He offers him two kikarees a half, two whole... whole to an inch of a fortune Alicia says not one penny and there are different opinions as to why Alicia refuses to take it because the Jewish people are in destitute it's a chil <laughs> Hashem people shouldn't think I did it for the money it's mitzvah a- babi this, this money is ill begotten gains or she edash, she let them know that there's something bigger than money so Naaman is in shock says thank you and off he goes but Alicia has a servant. Anybody remember his servant's name? Gehazi. It's kind of a name you either can't remember or can't forget. Right? Kind of wonder what his parents are like. Oh, I got a good name. Gehazi. Okay. So Gehazi, he's got a different attitude towards this. Guy wants to give away his money. We can do better things with it than he can. So he runs after Naaman. And he seizes the opportunity. And he gets Naaman to give him the money. And there's an interesting debate as to how he does it, but I'm going to leave that aside. So, what happens to Gechazi? Well, obviously, if we're doing in the context here, so he gets Sarat. But he didn't speak in the Hara. It can't be that he gets Sarat because of Lashon Hara. And it can't be he doesn't get Sarat because he touches money from Sarat, right? So, there must be a second way to get Sarat, right? Why does Gechazi get Sarat? Gehazi gets Tzarat, because if Tzarat separates you from the Machaneh, right? Gehazi, what kind of person, by the way, um, Chazal say, if you look and if you continue in the story of the Vim, um Gehazi had four sons. He, not only he gets Tzarat, he'll have Tzarat forever and his children will get Tzarat. There's a big discussion. Uh, Sifra talks about this. Why do his children get zarat? So the only way to understand this is that whatever transgression or whatever flaw Gechazi has, he gives over to his children. So, where do you find his children, according to Chazal? They are the four lepers who are at the gates of Shomron when this whole mess occurs. You remember this whole story? There are two of them one with Chizkiyahu uh, here in Ashur, and one with Aram. That the, the, the Aramean uh, 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 army is wiped out, and, and, and all this food is in the camp, and the people inside Shomron have no idea that, that they're going to be cured that they're saved, but the four lepers who are outside the gates for reasons of Tumantara, ritual purity, they see nobody's around, they start to eat. And then in the midst of their eating, someone realizes, you know what, the people in the city, they don't realize that they've been saved, we should go and tell them. So one of them eventually goes to the gates of the city, right? So what does that have to do with Sarat? So one could make a case for saying, I actually recently saw Advar Torah by Raf Medan, my Rabbi uh, Rashi of Gush, who said a fascinating thing. What Gehazi and these Aramean children have in common is that they were takers. There are two types of people in this world. You're a giver or you're a taker. It's that simple. You're sitting at your desk, there's a book next to you, belongs to somebody else and you don't bother to look at it. You're not a giver. You're not grabbing opportunities to make a difference in people's lives. You're too busy with yourself. Right? Two types of people, givers and takers. Even though one of them eventually goes to the gates and alerts the Jewish people, they don't do it right. People are starving to death. First, they've got to go have breakfast. They're too busy taking. Gehazi misses the opportunity for an enormous impact the mightiest king in the world or however you want to qualify him wants to give a fortune doesn't take it there's things that are bigger than money no, there's no money he's a taker now if you're a taker what's the consequence of being a taker? you have to be taken out why? what is that about? so this reminds us of another instance that we're actually all aware of and which is appropriate to discuss, sort of immediately after Yom Hashoah, right? We spent the day thinking about the Holocaust, right? Okay. The Holocaust was a product of what difficult reality that the Jewish people have suffered for the last two thousand years. Well, anti-Semitism is a product of that. Galut, exile, right? Now think about this for a minute. So what happens? We have a Beit Hamidrash. What's the purpose of the Beit Midash? Temple, Mishkan, Tabernacle, what's the purpose of it? Well, you can serve Hashem anywhere. Why do you need a base of Pardon? Centrality? Centrality. Why do you need a base of for centrality? Eretz Israel provides centrality. It's a place of presence of Hashem. Oh, because it's, it's, it's an environment that's designed to allow you to experience a level that's so high that it almost has to bring you up. Right? Why do you come here? Why do you learn in Israel for the year? Why are you in the old city of Yerushalayim? You could do it in net, You save your parents the flight. Because there are certain environments that are conducive to raising a person's spiritual level. So now think about this. Why do we lose the Beit HaMikdash, both of them, one temple after another, because we... Well, that's specific for the second Beit HaMikdash. What's the common denominator? Why do you lose the Makom HaMikdash? The Mikdash? Chet! Because we, we are on a lower spiritual level. We're hating each other, we're committing adultery and idolatry, and murder, whatever it is. Now think about this. That's illogical. You're making these mistakes, you're on a low spiritual level. So what do I do? I destroy the place that could help you to overcome that low spiritual level. Instead of kicking us out, Hashem should lock us in. He should take the whole Jewish people and stick them on our bite and there they have to stay. Why do we, why are we exiled? Why are we kicked out? So, Ravik Denevinson, one of his Sikhot, discusses something like this. He basically says what we're really talking about here. We are so focused on how Lashon Hara affects the listener. We're so focused on how Lashon Hara affects the person who's being spoken about. But there is obviously a third person who actually is the primary victim of Rachilos Lashon Hara all evil slander. And this is the one that people miss. They're so unaware of it, it doesn't even occur to them. And the Rambam says this in Hechode'er in Zayin, Seventh chapter of Hechode'er. Right? Um, let me see if I can find it. destroying my life. One second. Huh. This is the end of 7.3 There are three people that are destroyed by this evil slander, this speech. The one who says it. The one who receives it. And who's the worst? Who gets it the worst? The one who receives it, it's worse for him than the one who says it. Right? What's really going on there? When I tell you something negative, the two of us are impacted. What happens when I speak Lashon Hara isn't just about how it affects the person I'm speaking about. And it isn't even only just about how it affects you that are hearing it, it's also about how it affects me. Moshe Rabbeinu speaks Lashon Hara and receives a form of Tzarat not because of what it does to our Kadesh Baruch Hu. We can't change Hashem. Ani Hashem It's because of how it changes Moshe. Even Moshe Rabbeinu from one innocent comment, his spiritual level is so affected that it results in, in tzarat, in some form of mild leprosy. That's unbelievable. We leave Eretz Israel because you can't be in this place without being in a certain level. You know, it's like, imagine, I'm just using a rite as an example, but it's true for every yeshiva, it's true for every spiritual environment. I don't even think this is limited to Judaism. You're in yeshiva, there's an expectation you're going to be on a certain level. Right? So if a person comes and he behaves in a certain way, whatever that way is, I don't know, imagine the guy comes to me and says oh, he can't stop cursing. You know, and he's doing everything else. Did you check out that foul filth, foul filth, toast That's foul filth, foul filth. Right? <laughs> so like you turn around like what? Doing everything right. Eventually, if a person couldn't break that habit, you'd ask him to leave because he's having an impact on himself, he's having an impact on the yeshiva. is having right. So the reason that the Matsura is forced to leave the machaneh is because, it's not because he's being punished, it's because he's no longer worthy to be in the <coughs> And his impact on the encampment, on the community, and the price the community would pay for that impact, overweighs the price he's going to pay by having to leave the community. That's the foundational idea behind Sarat. Where am I at? <coughs> in fact, it's interesting. Rav Tzedek talks about this on a number of occasions. You know, when you take a really good look at where you are, it tells you a lot about who you are. You know? Imagine you go back in time. And you go back, I don't know how old University of Maryland is, but for the purpose of the example. You go back to University of Maryland, and you're back in University of in 1930 right and let's say that Yosheber of Soloveitchik did not go to the University of Berlin instead he decided to go to the University of Maryland <coughs> and you go to the University of Maryland and you walk into the frat house Aleph Bet Gimel I don't know Alpha Beta Reznesh <laughs> right and there's Bear, and he's got a big sweatshirt and it says JB and he's holding a beer but he's talking shots because he's of Soloveitchik you'd be in shock Because you would never find a Rav Shabir Soloveitchik in a frat house. It just wouldn't be. You just just wouldn't see it. Right? And imagine something simpler. And I'm not coming here to wave fire and brimstone. Everybody has to find their place and know you are. It's good to struggle with these struggles. You know? But imagine that, uh, I don't know, uh, imagine Yeshiva didn't offer you an opportunity to, to, to watch the Super Bowl which you know my opinion, like if you're going to watch the Super Bowl, at least watch it in such a way, the ideal is you don't need to watch the Super Bowl. Um, I don't know how much you got out of watching the Super Bowl. I don't know if it changed your life, right? But imagine, I don't know, something goes wrong, and so you just decide you're going to go to town. And you find a sports bar. And there's a four drink, you have to have four beers to be in the sports show for the night of the Super Bowl. And you walk in, and there's a blau hanging out at the bar with four (laughs) beers watching the game. And you walk in and he says, hey, pass the peanuts, right? Okay. <laughs> You'd be in shock. Because you wouldn't find such a person in such a place. You could debate whether there's an isser. You just wouldn't find a person in such a place. The foundational idea of the Mitzorah is that where I am tells me a lot about who I am. Now I want to tell you something. Make no mistake about it. You can be, you can be living in Israel... And you can really be in Galut. And you can be living in America and you can be tasting Eretz Yisrael. I don't want you to make the mistake of thinking you can be in Eretz Yisrael in Galut. You can't. There is no substitute for Eretz Yisrael. The Ramban says very clearly that all the mitzvot, certainly the mitzvot that say that you do, are only a zecher. You're not even makayim mitzvos in Chetzlaret. You're just doing them so you won't forget mitzvot. Rash implies this also on, on, on his commentary on Tefillin in the Torah. Right, I always thought that, that instead of, uh, you know, we shouldn't debate what the Ramban, Ramban Paskins if we would have presented that the Ramban, that Ramban is Machmir, then everybody would have followed Ramban, and we'd be done. We'd all be in Eretz Israel, right? So there's no doubt of the difference between Eretz Israel and Galut, but that being said, you can still taste something spiritual at Chutzlaretz, and you can still be in a very secular environment in Israel. No? in Israel they call it Sylvester I'm not quite sure why some saint that they mistranslate probably but okay but there's this like movement amongst Israelis who call themselves secular to celebrate the New year's Sylvester and how do you celebrate the New year if you could write an article can I find a way to do something that's completely as, as antithetical as antithetical as possible to anything Jewish let's see if I can come up with it Well, you know what? Eating a cheeseburger isn't antithetical because you have to eat. Okay, so what would it be? It would be Sylvester. Let's go celebrate New Year by oblivioning ourselves with alcohol. Right? And that's what people do. And if you're sitting in Yerushalayim, Irak in the middle of a Sylvester party, so then you're in Galut. And that's the message of the Mitzorah. Everything that happens to me, you know, it's an interesting question. There's an Indian of Nigaim by by right there, clothing, houses. So there's one aspect of Nagaim, of, of of the affliction of tarat that only exists in Earth's Australia. Anybody know which one? Doesn't exist in Chotzlaitz. You could theoretically get Tsaratz in Chotzlaz. Whether that would happen or not is an interesting question, but but there's one type of tarat you cannot get in Chotzla. Anybody know? Nigebati. Right? You can look at a wall in your house, there's a white mark kind of supposedly looks some, something like mold, Kohanim who've studied five years, can tell you the halachos, and they come and they paskin right? No tsaras and chutzlaretz right? Now that's an interesting question, why that is because at a certain level, tsarat and nega, it's a gift The Ramban says it's a gift siman ki sar me'ala it's an indicator that something's wrong, there's a spiritual deficiency that you have Right? So why can't you experience that spiritual deficiency in the same level in Kutzlaitz? Because in Israel, you're in an environment, there are things that you notice about yourself here that if you go spend four years, right, in a secular college and you experience it as a secular college, you might even stop noticing them. You know? If you're sitting in a basement and you bang your toe and you foul filth for a second, you'll feel uncomfortable. And people will notice that you say it. But if you're sitting in a beer hall, in the mirror of a university frat house and somebody curses, nobody even notices it. So there's a form of nega that's a bracha. So again, negaim is all about the idea that we have a responsibility to the community that we're in. We either are part of raising the level of community or we're having a negative effect on the community and then we're better off outside of the community. And I think that this parsha it's not accidental, this always comes up after Pesach. It's the beginning of kaitzma. It's as we're starting to contemplate that yeshiva doesn't last forever, that you're going to go back into the world that's much more complex. And it it, it causes us, it challenges us to struggle with whether or not this reality that we're in is the reality we want. How do I create that mishkan, that mikdashmaat, wherever I am? And I'll finish with a question. I'm not going to answer this question because we don't have time. I'm going to give it to you to think about it. If somebody comes up with a good answer, you can either come over to me later and chill and challenge or anytime you want. There's a Gemara in Sanhedrin uh, in Davos HaRichas. It's famous Gemara. Well, it's famous because I know it. And uh, Rabbi Yeshua bumps into Eliyahu Right? If you're Rabbi Yeshua, you could bump into Eliyahu Hanabi. So Eliyahu Hanabi sees Rabbi Yeshua. He says, Ah, shol bleichem Rabbi. He says, Ah, shol bleichem Rabbi. Rabbi How are you doing? So obviously if Eliyahu Hanabi shows up, there must be a reason. Elijah the prophet shows up. There must be a reason. So Rabbi Yeshua says, can I ask you a question? And Rabbi Yeshua says, sure. He says to him, Ka'atimar. When will the Master come? What's he asking? When will, when will Mashiach come? He's in the cattle car on the way to Treblinka. When will the Mashiach come? So Rabbi says, why don't you go ask him? <laughs> now, if you're Rabbi Yeshua, and Nachi and says, "You could go ask Mashiach." So, great. Where is he? How do I find him? So or Navi says, "You can look this up." So or Navi says, "Go to the marketplace, and at the entrance to the marketplace, the lepers are sitting, the Mitzrayim, and they're taking off their bandages so that they can sit in the sun because the sunlight helps to heal." Or calm this terrible affliction. But there's one beggar, one leper. He doesn't take off all his bandages, he takes them off one at a time so he can be ready to go. That's Mashiach. Go and ask him. So Rabbi Yeshua, I assume he runs to the marketplace. He's excited. I don't know if he told him where Mashiach is. He's going to find out where Mashiach is coming. You know, not sure, do I invest in the project or not? Well, if Mashiach's not coming, here, invest. So he goes to the marketplace and he finds this leper and he goes over to the leper and he says to him, taika When are you coming? When is the master coming? And the Mashiach looks at him and he says, "Hayom, today. Now, if some guy came over to me and me say, said, I'm Mashiach and I'm coming today, I'd be like, okay, I have some pizza for you. You know, fine, right? I don't know why I chose pizza, but whatever, right? Okay. But if you're Rabbi Yoshua and you wait until you're a Navi and the guy he describes is there and you walk over to him and you say when are you coming? And he just doesn't even say what he's talking about he says yes I'm coming today you assume it's coming today the Gemara doesn't tell us what happens today but I imagine Rabbi Yoshua runs home he tells his wife pack the stuff you know what? don't even bother to pack the stuff tell the village we're leaving, Mashiach's coming, we're going home we're going to build the base of Mikdash. but he hasn't come he doesn't come. So the Gemara continues. The next day, he bumps into Eliyahu Navi again. And he says to Eliyahu Navi, what happened? And Eliyahu Navi says, did you go? Did you find him? He says, yeah. And he lied to me. So then I says, didn't lie to you. So I asked him, when he's supposed to come? And he said, Ayom. Eliyahu Navi says, no, 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 no. Not Ayom. Ayom... In That's the Pasuk. The Mashiach says, I'll come today if you're ready. It's up to you, don't ask me. Gula can come today if we're ready. Now the question I'm gonna leave you with based on what we're saying about Sarat, why is the Mashiach in Matzara? Why is the Mashiach, who's supposed to be the one who brings the Jews together, why is he a Matzurah? Makes no sense. Question? Food for thoughts? I'm both of you have an awesome Shabbos. Is you guys up for let me just uh let me just uh one second. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.